Well, this morning is a significant morning, at least for me, as we conclude a series. This is the first series that I'm concluding with you. Uh, I told you last week that this week would be week 23 of looking at different hymns of the church and looking at the gospel truths within those hymns that makes them worth singing. And you heard the announcement already, but I'll make it again in case you came late. There is a green card on the offertory table uh, located here in the center. That lists all the hymns that we did in this 23-week series. And I'd encourage you, if, if you know how to do it, if you have the capacity to do it, go make a playlist of these. Uh, listen to these with your family, with your children. Listen in the car. Uh, listen as you run or walk or ride your bike or whatever. Fill your heart with these hymns and the gospel truths that are within them. And I think it will be a great blessing to you. And then also one more announcement before I begin the sermon. This is a personal announcement. I'm calling the attention of all the men of the church ages 13 and up. What we would call future men. Uh, on October the 17th, which should be a Saturday... We are going to have a GPC RUF Erskine Men's Fellowship, a fall fellowship. And I want this on your calendar. I want it on your radar. And I want you to know it's not limited to GPC men or the Erskine men. If you have friends at other churches, if you have friends in your neighborhood, if you have friends at the gym and they'd like to be a part of our fall fellowship, this is something I hope we'll do each fall. But we're going to meet out at the barn at 6.30 on a Saturday evening. Because of COVID, it's going to be a bring-your-own tailgate. And I mean that. If you've got a little charcoal grill and you want to come and cook burgers or dogs as we get ready for our speaker that evening, you can do that. Or bring Subway or bring a pizza or bring a, a picnic lunch. But from about 6.30 to 7.30, we'll have food together, fellowship together outdoors at the barn which is about 15 minutes from here. And then a dear friend of mine, Steve May, who happens to be the father of Elizabeth Drexler and the father-in-law to Daniel Drexler, he's going to be our speaker that evening, and he's going to talk about faithful leadership. And he's going to talk to 13-year-old young men all the way up. All ages are invited and welcome. This is something we want to do every fall. And I wanted to get it on your radar. So families, no, we're serious about this. And it would be a great event to invite people to. So October the 17th, we will do that together. Now, for our sermon, we're concluding the series on hymns. And this morning, we're going to revisit a hymn writer that we've already heard from. His name is Henry Light. And we're going to conclude with the hymn, Jesus, I, My Cross, Have Taken. And the title of the sermon is The Cost of Discipleship. It's a beautiful hymn. It's a reworked tune by Indelible Grace. It is a personal favorite of mine. And this morning, as you prepare to hear God's word, I want you to listen to the severity of Jesus' invitation to follow him. It's really what I'm going to emphasize this morning is is it is serious business to claim to be a disciple of Jesus. It is not something small. It is not just another thing in your life. 
But Jesus says it is a serious call. And these are the words that he uses to invite his disciples to follow him. Luke chapter 9, verses 22 to 26. Jesus soft pedals nothing. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to see, understand, and believe what Jesus has said to his disciples. Lord, would you do that very thing this morning? Would you open our eyes? Would you soften our hearts? Would you enable us to see and to believe what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And Lord, would you give us the faith to persevere. And we ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So anyone who is in sales or has had any experience with sales, even as a purchaser, you know what it is to soft pedal something. You know what it is to give a, an appetizing presentation that you just can't say no to, right? I've joked with you before in another sermon how um, it used to be that long-distance carriers would call you and, and sales pitch 10 cents a minute. This was when I was in college. And who could say no to 10 cents a minute long-distance phone calls? But then 30 days later, after you've signed up, suddenly they jack it up to, I don't know what it was, 50 cents a minute. The fine print, the soft pedal, the sales job. Jesus is a straight shooter. Jesus speaks very clearly and very firmly about reality. He's very honest. And I was trying to think of an example of that, and strangely, the, the only example or the first example that came to my mind was probably about 10 years ago when my oldest son, who is now about to be 22, was 12, and I was his Little League baseball coach. And I got a couple of Erskine students who, who helped coach with me, and, and I was the head coach. Don't soft pedal anything. I shoot straight. I say things like they are. And I remember one occasion, it was my job to go out to the pitcher's mound to speak comfort and hope to this pitcher who had gotten several men on base. Now, most coaches will go out and they'll soft pedal a little bit, and they'll say something like, Okay, when you strike this batter out, the inning will be over and we'll get out of here without any harm. But I'm a straight shooter. I'm pretty honest. 
So I went out and I said, okay, this is a big kid up to bat. There's a good chance he's going to hit the ball and he's going to hit it hard. But you need to trust your defense. And if they make a play, we're going to get out of this. And if they don't, it really doesn't define who you are. And it doesn't matter anyway. So have fun, make a memory, go do this. Right? That's just my approach. Let's be honest. If, if my team is playing and I don't think they have a chance, if I don't think they're going to win, I'm, I'm going to say that. Now, Jesus, more than all that, Jesus is a straight shooter. He's very honest. And the first point of the sermon is this. Jesus made it clear to his disciples that he must suffer. No soft peddling. He tells them precisely what must happen. In verse 22, it says, The Son of Man, that was a messianic title of himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And what is worse, he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus is a straight shooter. He's very honest. He says there's going to be profound suffering. And you can almost hear the disciples saying, don't talk like that. You're our Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the Master. You're our teacher. Don't talk so negatively. Why can't you be more positive when you talk about the outlook of things? But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he would have to pay a cost of redemption. And he spoke severe language. He spoke honest language because it was true. The cost of redemption would lead Jesus to speak that openly, that honestly, about what he would have to endure for his people, for the church. I remember as a child, I grew up in White Oak, South Carolina, a small community. We had a little post office. And it was there that you could go and you could buy your bottle of ice-cold Coca-Cola. And it's there you could go get some penny candy and some nickel candy. I know it sounds like I grew up in the 50s. I didn't, but it was like being in the 50s in Mayberry. But the tricky thing was having those coins to go buy those things. And some of you who are older, you remember it used to be those glass bottles could be redeemed for I think it was five cents, right? So my brother and I, we would go out and we would walk up and down the streets looking on the sides of the road for glass bottles that could be redeemed for five cents, right? Because that was candy. That was candy money. And we would go out and, you know, it was so easy to redeem a bottle. You just had to find a bottle. You could go look in Dad's pickup truck. You might find a couple of bottles in the back. And you'd go cash them in. How cheap, how easy to get candy money. Five cents a pop. The redemption that Jesus has purchased is anything but cheap and easy. It is anything but cheap and easy. And Jesus makes that clear to his disciples. That not only would he suffer, but the second point is that Jesus made it clear that his disciples would have to suffer. 
And if they were uncomfortable with Jesus talking about how he would suffer and he would die, whoa, 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 whoa. Now you're talking about us suffering. You're talking about the hardship of redemption, including us and leading to our suffering. In fact, Jesus uses the most severe language and says his disciples must take up their cross and follow him. Well, that's language to shudder at. If you were here for the sermon a few weeks ago on when I survey the wondrous cross, you, we went into some detail about what the cross as an instrument of death was. And you would shudder to hear that you are to take up your cross in order to follow Jesus. And so Jesus shows that the gospel's not cheap and discipleship is not easy. And Jesus leads with that. He wants you to know. He wants us to know. He wanted them to know. It is serious business to, to claim to be a disciple of Jesus. Rob Rayburn, in his sermon on this passage, says this. In a world where crucifixion was commonplace, it's very likely that all of the disciples had seen a man take up his cross to drag it to the place of his own execution, to watch a man knowingly walk to the place of his death while carrying the instrument of his own execution would have been an unforgettable image and would have made a powerful impression. And that severe and traumatic image is what Jesus chose to use as his invitation to discipleship. Now you think about that. The most traumatic image, Jesus uses that to say, okay, you must do this and then you can follow me. Playfully, I want to say, poor Jesus, if only he had been able to take a church growth class or if he could have read a book that helped him understand there are ways to grow the church and ways not to grow the church, and you sure don't grow the church by talking about people having to suffer, right? We would say you got to appeal to the senses. You've got to give the people what they want, right? If you want to grow a church, you've got to have the biggest and best playground because people will come for it, right? Poor Jesus didn't know how to grow a church. He should not have said those harsh things, and the church would have boomed. Oh, who doesn't know about church planning but maybe us? Jesus offers that stern call, that hard call. He invites people to come and to suffer because he knows that his Holy Spirit is going to call a people to himself. And when called to suffer, he's going to empower them and strengthen them to suffer, and they will willingly come, and they will suffer for the glory of God. Jesus invites us to take up our crosses and to follow him. And simply put, the cost of true discipleship is everything. It costs us everything. It costs us, he says in the passage, denying ourselves, taking up that cross, and doing so daily. 
Not doing it once. Not standing up at some church event and one time raising your hand or one time walking forward to an aisle. Daily taking up your cross and dying is what he says. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor who countered Adolf Hitler and would be arrested and eventually hanged for opposing Hitler. I'm going to quote him twice this morning. But listen to how he sums up the same theme in Scripture. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. There's your invitation to discipleship. An invitation to come and die. Come and die to your self-interests. Come and die to your self-image. Come and die to your self-satisfaction. Lay it all on the altar and let it die. Because you're a new creature in Christ with a new heart, with new passions, with new will. And all those previous self-directed things are to pass away. And you live as a new creature in Christ. I think Bonhoeffer was right. Jesus invites us to come and die. Come and die. There's your sales pitch to take into the week. Let's go die this week. Let's go die. Let's go suffer and die. That's what Jesus says. It's pretty stark, isn't it? But that's how Jesus would grow his church, through that kind of honesty. Now think with me for a moment. I believe deep down inside every one of us, we understand this. We understand that nothing worth doing is going to be easy and it's not going to be cheap. If it's your marriage, you understand that it is costly to have a marriage, a good marriage. You're going to have to lay down and die your self-interests, your self-preferences, your self-emphasis. It's going to cost you something to have a good marriage. If you are going to be a good employee and you're going to work well, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to give your best. You're going to have to be on time. And that may require you not staying up and watching that ball game at night or not doing something that you would have done otherwise. It's going to cost you something in your job to be the kind of worker, the kind of employee that you desire to be. Or if you're on a team, maybe you're, you're not an adult, maybe you're in high school. Some of you are playing high school football right now, and you understand you don't just show up in September to play football. It's all summer long before that. You're getting ready. It's costly. Anything worth doing and worth doing well is costly of you. And to think that Jesus would have a soft pedal sales makes no sense to us deep down on the inside. We understand that to, to be a disciple must cost us something. Our preferences, our conveniences, our interests. The question is, what, it, has, it, what has it cost you to this point in your life? Has it cost you anything to associate with Jesus? Or has it just brought a few benefits, a few fringe benefits? Maybe some friends, maybe a busy social calendar. But none of those are the things that Jesus invited his disciples to. He invited us to come, to take up a cross, and to die. It was costly. 
Now, the cost of false discipleship is little to nothing. I want you to think about that. A false discipleship costs you nothing. You don't need to change your will, change your preferences, change your life, change your disciplines. You just keep on as you are. That's false discipleship. True discipleship will cost you everything, Jesus says. And then thirdly, and lastly, the gospel story, this gospel story that we've sung about in all these hymns through these 23 weeks, the story of justification, of adoption, of sanctification, of glorification, all these gospel truths that fill our hymn book, they tend to remind us of a profound truth, and that is this. The gospel story includes both humiliation and exaltation. They go together. Just as suffering precedes glory, just as demolition precedes reconstruction, so humiliation precedes exaltation. And it was so in Jesus' life, taking up the cross, being mocked, being insulted, experiencing the miseries of this life. Jesus experienced humiliation, but that preceded his exaltation. And he says the same thing is true for his church, for those who believe in him. We will in this life be humiliated, so don't be surprised when the world rejects you, when it reviles you, when it says all bad kinds of things about you. Jesus reminds us that humiliation precedes exaltation. Lowliness precedes his highness. And that is the rhythm. That is the gospel rhythm. It is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God where expectations go unmet in this life, what is expected, the opposite, tends to be true. I'm teaching through James with students in RUF on Sunday night, and we just heard last week that Jesus says, let the high man take humility in his low position, and let the poor man take pride in his high position. Jesus is always showing that the kingdom reverses things. And so it is here. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are poor. Blessed are you when you're rejected. Blessed are you when people say horrible things about you because of the Son of Man. Jesus and the kingdom of God is always showing the reversal of truth. The way the world sees it and the way the kingdom perceives it, it's always opposite. And our expectations go unmet in that way when God reverses Truth. We see it in our passage in verse 24. He says, if you lose your life, you'll actually save it. And the one who tries to save his life is actually going to lose it. And it's the kingdom reversal. And so as we prepare to sing this hymn that's filled with these truths from this passage, I want to ask you in the way of application, have you lived through the tension of that kingdom reversal in your life? where everything your instincts and your gut tell you you want, and then the gospel tells you those things will leave you empty, 
Have you felt that tension and that truth in your life to this point? Where all the things that you think will bring you happiness and satisfaction, the people, the places, the things. And Jesus asserts himself and says, none of those things will satisfy you. Only I will satisfy you. Have you felt that tension and that kingdom reversal? Jesus is always teaching us those kinds of truths and they bring the most sense into our everyday life when finally with new eyes we can see and we can say, I've been looking for all the wrong things in all the wrong places. And Jesus has reversed my thinking now and I see that it is not riches in this life, it is riches in the next. It's not people who bring ultimate satisfaction in this life, it's God himself. And so the great reversal, the kingdom reversal this morning is what I want you to hear. And the hymn that we're going to sing, Henry Light's hymn, Jesus I My Cross Have Taken. Several snippets, several of the snippets are in there. Let, let me use Bonhoeffer one more time to lead us into the hymn. Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship says this. He says, discipleship is costly because it costs a person their life. And it is grace because it gives us true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And it is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. For you were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap. For us, the costliness of grace, the costliness of discipleship. Henry Light says it all so beautifully. And this is a long hymn. I'm not going to apologize for that because it's filled with so much good truth. But if you have it in front of you and you can see it, look at stanza four. And if not, um, just listen carefully. But I'll, I'll tell you the backstory before I read this. So Henry Light, as a young seven-year-old, he and his brother, uh, raised by a mother and a father, and his father is described as a real outdoorsman, somebody who loved to hunt and loved to fish. And, and the biography on the hymn writer says that, sadly, his father loved to hunt and to fish more than he loved having sons. And so he really neglected his children by doing the things that he liked to do. And by the time that Henry Light was seven years old, his father determined he was going to abandon his family, but he did put the children into a boarding school where they would be raised. And when off to boarding school, Henry Light's mother grew very ill. She was raising another younger child, and she died while Henry Light was in boarding school and his father had abandoned them. The sad thing was that Henry Light did not receive word that his mother was ill or that she had died. And for years he wondered, why doesn't mom write me? Why doesn't she visit? He thought he had been abandoned again. And that theme of abandonment and being fatherless, parentless, it comes up in several of his hymns. And his life would change when his headmaster of his school took particular interest in him because he was very gifted. 
He was gifted in poetry. He was gifted academically. He would find his way into the ministry in his young adult life. But he actually was unconverted. He loved the church, the things of the church, but he had never really apprehended the beauty of the gospel. In fact, he had made fun of evangelical ministers who preached the gospel until one of his minister friends was on his deathbed and arrested his attention saying, I don't have hope and I think we've missed truth. And that haunted Henry Light to the point that he revisited the gospel and he came to genuine faith in Christ. He would eventually meet a woman that he would fall in love with, but the woman's parents didn't like him, didn't like that he was an evangelical and didn't like that their daughter had started to talk about God and the Bible a lot. And she, was a very, she came from a very wealthy family. And I'm telling all this for a reason. They were poised to receive a significant inheritance. But because of the in-laws not approving and liking Henry Light and his ministry, there was a season of life where they lived in tension, not knowing if they were going to be pushed aside and forgotten by the family. And so stanza four of the hymn, that's the backdrop of what he says here. He says, speaking of the cost of discipleship, go then earthly fame and treasure. Go, don't need you. Come disaster, scorn and pain. For in thy service, pain is pleasure. And with thy favor, loss is gain. Now here's the father theme. Remember his pain and his background. I have called thee, Abba Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl. Clouds may gather. But all must work for good for me. Beautiful example of staying your heart on the gospel. Fixing your heart on the gospel. Being steadfast and unmoved. Even though your circumstances in life are, are unstable, you don't know what's going to happen. And he stays his heart on the gospel and says, Abba Father, it's not going to abandon me. He's everything that I need. I love hymns when they condense gospel truth. They make it portable for us, that we could take it into the week. And in our own pains and sorrows and lack of understanding of what in the world is going on, we're reminded by saints that came before us, men and women, that they have lived through the same trials, they have lived through the, the same uncertainties, and they stayed their heart on Jehovah. They stayed their heart, they fixed their heart on the truth of the God of the Bible. And that's what we're invited to do this morning as we sing this hymn, is to stay your heart on the gospel and to let music help you to do that when your emotions are unsettled, when they're up or when they're down, that God's truth can fix your heart in the midst of an unstable world. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing this hymn together. Our Father and our God, that is our prayer, that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to stay our hearts on the gospel, to know that regardless of what circumstances we're experiencing in this life, 
you have told us to remember that a day is coming when all will be made right, where we will see that your good hand of providence led us, comforted us, protected us through the worst of times, even when we didn't understand, even when we struggled to believe. There is a day coming where we will see that you are proved right in the end. And so, Lord, would you take these words written long ago and put to song? Would you use them to bless us? Help us to stay our heart on thee. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.